is a special presentation of the Buccaneers Sports Network. This is the Jay and Keith Show. Two broadcasters, two microphones, and one meticulously scripted podcast. You what? Just kidding. Get it, J.K.? You get it. That's what I thought was so funny. It's not funny. Alongside Keith Break, here's the voice of the Bucks, Jay Sandoz. All right, it is a Wednesday as we are recording here on the Jay and Keith podcast. A lot to go over, some coaching news. One subtraction, yes. one addition. Uh, and one one person who is making the jump of a lifetime, I am, of course, talking about Jay Sandoz, who is applying for the Iowa offensive coordinator job, which was posted today on the university's job board. You know, a lot of, a lot of people talk about how good they were at Madden or uh, the college football game. Yeah. The NCAA may be allowed to release or EA Sports or whoever did that, and I wasn't very good at those, so um, I don't know that uh, I would be an improvement. Now, uh, I don't know why the um, uh, you get like that. I don't know why you just wouldn't let the special teams coach call offensive plays to get the putting unit where they need to be and uh, get them, uh, you know, prepared. Maybe you know that way on third down they get to the particular hash mark of yep. uh, what they want. You know, like you would for a field goal, a game-winning type, or something like that. That's what I would do. Um, I'll tell you, I mean, it, it, the funniest possible outcome is Tyler Roll, right? Given what's going on in Fargo for mm. that job. Well, that would make sense since what, uh, you know, mm-hmm. Matt Enns did or whatever. Matt Enns is now the linebackers coach at uh, Southern Cal, or will be once North Dakota State season concludes. Uh, he will finish out the playoffs with them. Um, but that, that would be the funniest. Thing. And Roll can – do a lot of things that Iowa likes to do because like, from an identity standpoint while also adding a lot more spread concepts, 11 personnel, 12 personnel, gun run stuff, quarterback run game. He, 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 got a lot, he can do a lot of stuff. I, I think he'd be a great fit there. Well, but. I guess my question is, does he know how to work with a standing tight end? Yes. Okay. And then, and then you could coach at Iowa. Because that's still, I believe, the only school in the country that still will occasionally break out the standing tight end. North Dakota State does. Oh, they got a standing tight end, too? Look at you. No, I believe North Dakota State will, will break out the standing tight end every now and then. Uh, you, you're just a two-point stance tight end, right? Like he's kind of hunched over a little bit? Yeah. Just, yeah, just, yes. No hands in the dirt. Or I'll tr- do it. Or turf or whatever it's called. Not in, like, the, not in the jumbo bunch set, not off the line, literally st- beside the tight end on two. Like the H-back, I know if you're off the ball – you're in a two-point stance. But if you're on the line of scrimmage next oh, to the that, tackle, that, that, is, a, yeah, that is a standing tight end. I don't think NDSU uses a, like, a tight end right on the edge of the offensive line like that. But when you get into 12 personnel or 22 personnel, they will, yeah. Yeah, it, 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 those are more – technically that would be the H-back if you're not on the line. The tight end's supposed to be on the line. And it's traditional sense of how the game Look was. at you with your football-shaped monocle. Okay. Technically. Uh, I mean, you know, I'm never right, so I was, I was, I was trying to – Savor, well, savor the moment then. Yeah, no doubt. Savor the flavor of rightness. Can I tell you what was fun? Yes. Okay. Uh, I was gonna say. I was gonna say the the joke you told Lindsay Devine at her press conference yesterday that cause there was a picture of you and it looked like you were telling her a joke and she was very politely trying to tell you to go away. <laughs> I have no idea what picture you're talking about, but. Um, it's, it was no almost jokes. like the meme of like a guy talking to somebody in a club or like the stadium, like. Got it just like leaning in real close, mouth open, like in the middle of something. 
Um, and then the, the other person's just like, that's nice. Go away. <laughs> Leave me alone, please. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's good to have Lindsay back, though. Uh, I'm excited that, to that's have what was Dr. Fun. Divine That's what back. was fun. Was, you know, you don't see that a lot. You don't see kind of the, the homecoming. And, you know, again, it's it's interesting because the last several years you've had former player turned coach like Joe Huberley's back. You had mm-hmm. an assistant coach, head coach, Brooke Savage. You don't see – I'm not saying it doesn't happen. It's just not a lot that it happens. But yeah. then a head coach that led you to great heights to move on to an SEC program, coach a different uh, couple of SEC schools, and then – kind of be available at the right time, right place, and the right fit to come back to a school where, you know, in her case, 16 years, and, uh, you know, able, you know, to come home. Uh, and so I, I think yeah. that's uh, – it, it was fun. You know, that, that was fun because I always had a great relationship with Coach Devine. Uh Andy Fisher asked me this question yesterday, and I did not have a ready answer to my eternal shame, was has ETSU ever had a head coach – with prior SEC head coaching experience. Randy Sanders was obviously an offensive coordinator, mm-hmm. right? Um, Steve Forbes was an assistant at Tennessee. I think Sonny Smith's run at Auburn was after his run at it, ETSU. It was. So I don't think so. I'm Can you think of anybody? Not for a long, long time anyway. Right. And Not in the modern era of college athletics. You know, I'd have to go back and technically see what George Watts' title was at Tennessee. Ah. Because I don't know if he was head cross-country coach, but not the head of the track and field program. That would be, off the top of my head, that would be the only one that I think could possibly, and I'm not even sure he would, have qualified for what uh, old Sticks had asked you to, to figure out. But off the top of my head, no, because we uh, that would be the first, um, to my knowledge. Mm-hmm. But only George Watts could be the only other one I could think of that could possibly. But, again, I think that's a little semantics because he wasn't the head track and field coach overseeing all of that. He might have been the head cross-country coach. He was the head coach of men's cross-country. So, uh, And he is the head coach of men's cross-country here. He's the, the director of all the track and fields. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, that that would be the only one. But other than that, um, and again, because that sport just done differently, um, I don't know if that's the same, but that is a, a, a good point. But I'm trying to think where. Well, okay. My point is not to get us too derailed here. The point is that it's, it's rare to have something like that at this level. And Lindsay Devine is someone who has won here extensively before. Um, you know, she's been back in the region since earlier in the year. Um, I probably – Late last winter, um, she and, and her husband moved back down here. And uh, she's a grandmother now, so that's a little bit different. But uh, she is, she's got the same energy, the same excitement about being part of, of this athletic department and, and working with uh, Brian, Dr. Brian Nolan and Dr. Richard Sander again as a president and the AD, who were both in attendance yesterday. Uh, at this is, I mean, this is somebody that, that you, you really, it rarely works out like this where you can say, hey, we brought back the winningest head coach in school history who had gone on to a power conference job and now is is back here helping us rebuild a program that literally 12 months ago was coming off a regular season SOCON title. So it's not like it necessarily needs to be a, a complete overhaul. There's talent there. 
there are some individual players that are going to be very valuable contributors to whatever the future holds for ETSU volleyball. Um, but now somebody in place that you trust, that has an established track record, that has uh, a clear track record of success at this level, and has even gotten at large bids to the dance at this level, is somebody that I think we're all pretty fired up about. Yeah, I can't wait to work with Coach Devon. She actually saw us today, asked us where we're going, what we were doing, and uh, just one of those things. Again, I, I had a uh, a good relationship with Coach Devine, and, and especially because I started kind of doing the games. I want to say six or seven months before she got the job, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so she's one of the few people again that's still that that's kind of back around the building when when I was kind of the youngster uh, yeah. on the block here, going around and and like a lot of those, whether it's uh, the late uh, Karen Camp or you know Lindsey Devine and, and Stephanie uh, Shelton still here, and so a lot of those kind of you know I don't say mothered me, but there was a lot of that like the the young guy around and. You know, helping me, uh, you know, trying to figure out my way in just athletics, not just, you know, the, the broadcasting side of which I knew, but how some of the other stuff works and all that. Mm-hmm. So just uh, excited for her, excited for Carl, her husband. Uh, obviously what Megan did uh, for the program, one of the greatest players, uh, at least top five, if, if you know, I, I don't want to get too deep into that either, but, you know, top mm-hmm. five player uh, in the history of the school. And what no, I would just say the probably divine. the best, best um, pin hitter that we've ever had yeah i mean it's you know it's it, special to do there it was it was a great um and it came on the heels of finding out that we lost a, a coach that we both liked who yes who did come back now that's different again right and and he was kind of to your point he was here as a ga and then as an assistant coach when i was an undergrad so and and david Lilly was probably the second or third person at latest that expressed excitement when he found out that I was coming back to ETSU myself because he knew what that program meant to me and he knew that I was going to you know be out there and be invested and be passionate about what he was doing with with uh, ETSU men's soccer and David uh, late last week accepted the the head coaching position at, at UAB which is a program that used to be really, really good. When I was an undergrad, they were ranked, and uh, this past season they did not win a game. So uh, I, I hate to lose him. Uh, I hate that, you know, it it, uh, it was in that situation. But I, I will say this, and um, I, I think this speaks to, to David. I, I don't like to give away too many details of this, but uh, David did not reach out to UAB. UAB reached out to David, and um, they wanted David Lilly to be the guy to bring their program back to prominence. And I think that just speaks volumes for what he was able to achieve in a very short amount of time here and the, the way that his reputation for doing things the right way, quote-unquote, I hate that phrase, but doing things the right way, that the way that leads to success and sustained success in college sports, that, that reputation spread like wildfire when he came back to ETSU and got the program off the ground, uh, or got the program out of some tumultuous times. You know, there, there had been a midseason coaching change before he got here. Um, it had been very, very much a struggle. And he got that group of guys bought in and committed, and they could have won two regular season titles. They only won one. They won it 
in unforgettable fashion with Chris McKenna with three seconds left against Mercer. And um, extremely grateful to David and what he allowed us to do with his program. The access he gave us to his program was unmatched, and he always went out of his way to make sure that we had what we needed from him. And um, just one of the great individuals I've had the pleasure to work with in the recent past. And going to miss him a lot and definitely going to be tuning in to some uh, UAB games down in, uh, down in Birmingham, seeing what the, that group is up to. But Because yeah, that's the other part of it, right, is you, you get to know these people and you get invested in their lives and you start following their careers. And like David Braun was another one. David Braun was a defensive coordinator at North Dakota State when I was a broadcaster there for the last uh, three years. And I spent so much time in his office talking about the way he liked to utilize the safeties and the way he wanted to, to disguise pressures and uh, all the different things that he would do, the tendencies that you try to build, and, and just building a rapport with David. He was an unbelievable guy and um, was excited for him when he got the D.C. job at Northwestern. Not the least bit shocked that he worked out as a head coach. I'm maybe a little surprised that it happened immediately because he got thrown into the deep end in an unwinnable situation and was the consensus Big Ten coach of the year. But people, you get invested in their careers and you get to see where they go. And, and, you know, you just want to see good things happen to good people. And David Lilly is one of those good people that I hope a lot of good things happen to in the future. Yeah, it's one of those I was excited to see him. I hate to see him go, but excited for him. I mean, it's an opportunity. It's one that, you know, we've already mentioned that just, um, you know, it it just happened. You know, somebody – saw he's doing great things and that's the one thing about ETSU I know there's a lot of people that are upset oh, why would you go do that I mean, you could stay here and be a legend for 20 years and all that and that's, that's, that's fine and dandy but this is a, a job where certainly if you want to do certain things ETSU is limited and I'm, don't fault anybody that wants to stay at ETSU and as long as they did we saw Fred Warren do it for 30 we saw uh, oh gosh Dave Walker for 50 mm-hmm. you know we've seen Stephanie Shelton now 25 plus uh, years going so I mean there's certainly it, it works but we've also seen you know Les Robinson uh, win and move on you know we, we saw the Chellis win and move on Forbes you know, Steve Forbes win and move on and you know there are plenty of uh, folks that you know Scott Calabrese says won and move on Bo Shani coach the number one team in the country this year at UCF so I mean you know there there are things that you know there's that's fine I, I know people sometimes like oh you just why are we getting it, it just it's okay it's okay. And for Devon, it's good to be back. For David Lilly, we wish him the best. He was always great to deal with on the three levels, as you talked about, a GA, a full-time assistant, and then the, the eventual uh, head coach uh, at ETSU. So that's the, the coaching changes news. Uh, yes. You want to, before we go, you want to do football before we go into hoops? You want to do hoops? What do you want to do? Um, should, should we, are, are we watching the portal? Are we watching the portal? Is that? That, I was just trying to goad you into hitting the button. That's really what I was doing. All right. Um, we can't talk about specific uh, student athletes until they are enrolled at ETSU or have signed a national letter of intent. We can't talk about who is in the portal for ETSU, though. We can. Do you want to do that? Sure, there's not many, is there? No. Um, Tyler Rydell. Tyler Rydell is at the top of the list. And Osh Carter. And Osh Carter, who um, did not play for ETSU after, what, the fourth game of the year. Yeah. 
Um, I think he's already uh, going uh, uh, rumored McNeese to be reunited with Adam Neugebauer. All right. And uh, do, do we have do we have any more in the portal? When it, Will, Will Flowers. Flowers. Yeah. I think that's uh, yeah. That's yeah. As far as I know. Will, Will Flowers um, gets his he's getting his degree and he's kind of throwing his name out there just to see what happens. But uh, I I think from my understanding is probably they just kind of doing it for the for the heck of it uh, and see if you know if he gets a bite he'll go play. But if not, it's not the end of the universe for him. Um, but, yeah, uh, Tyler Rydell is probably the big one in the portal for ETSU. And uh, the quarterback's room will look significantly different. We heard that from Trey Lee. He's kind of hinted at that, that he wants to bring in, what do you say, three portal quarterbacks and one high school quarterback before the start of the 2024 season. And he'd like to have two portal, one high school in the mid-year at least if you can't get the three portal in one high school. So it's going to be different. You, you would imagine that's going to make some significant changes to the room, and, and that starts with T.Y., who delivered or quarterbacked ETSU to a SOCON title in 2021. And um, then, you know, weird scheme fit last year. This year is just so banged up. And it, it, it stinks that a guy who achieved what he achieved fairly early on in his career um, is – going to go somewhere else before it's over but that's the nature of it and uh, wish T.Y. all the best man he's a great dude and uh, is somebody that really commands the respect of a lot of people in that locker room and, and I think people that are observers of this program have a lot of respect for Tyler Rydell and, and the things that he has done to put himself in this position and the things that he was able to earn in that position there's a lot of respect for T.Y. and uh, wherever he goes. Again, another person, hey, or, or keep an eye on him. You know, late night ESPN Plus, maybe you fire up um, wherever he ends up. Not really sure where he's going to go. I know a couple schools have, have reached out, but he's uh, somebody who, wherever he goes, I think is going to be a really good fit. Yeah, you know, they've heard me talk about this, Keith. You know, he's, he was in my class, Tyler, that was yeah. a freshman, and then he, you've seen him, he comes by, stops, talks. We had a relationship, um, kind of mentor a little bit outside of the coaching staff where we talked about different things. And, um, you know, if he'd go back to Tampa, he'd call or text, we'd do whatever. So I mean, yeah. I'm still going to have that relationship. Hate to see it go. But uh, I, I think it's also, it's a situation, A, he's, he's done a lot. He's going to be remembered forever uh, with ETSU in, in the 2021 year. But also, this would have been his fourth offense coordinator in four years. Cool. And yeah. he was going to have to battle all kinds of different things again. At some point, I do think he needed a break from all of this. And I think Coach Lamb coming in knows all the backstory. You know, of course, his uncle, Bobby played with George Quarles. They were tight. George Quarles actually sold Trey when Trey called George, and George was like, yes, you should take the job. Um, Coach Quarles even called people and said, that's a no-brainer, hire, hire Trey Lamb. And, you know, but I think the conversation was 
can he do the things I want to do offensively? And the answer was probably not. Right. And instead of pigeonholing in like they tried to with Nugabauer's system a couple of years ago when he clearly that wasn't built for Tyler Rydell, I think the best thing is is not try to do that again and put everybody through that again. Just say, hey, let's let you have a clean break, find something that fits you, you know, we'll help you land, and if anybody calls about you, we've got nothing but glowing things to say and to try to find a spot for you. But the best thing for us to do is to just cut ties with about everything <laughs> and start anew. And I think that's kind of where they're – on the offensive side at least, I think that's where they're going. Yeah. Now, um, again, we can't comment on – you see you, – it's been hard to miss the last few days of the commitments flying around for ETSU football. Uh, there were, uh, I, I think I can say this, that there were, because Trey has advertised this on social media, there were 11 uh, recruits or prospects on campus over the weekend for official visits and um, a double-digit number committed. Um, so, I mean, for that, if there were 11 of them and double digits committed, then there's not a lot of room for interpretation on that one. Um, See, they're 10 or 11 if my math is right. Or 11, you know, I'm not correct. real smart. I'm just making sure. Um, yes, and these are players that really just infuse the roster with talent at critical positions and positions where it needed infusing with, with talent. Um, I, I think you're, you're still going to see some positions that ETSU continues to shop around for for a little bit. I would expect uh, offensive line to be an area where they find one or two more. Uh, where you, you, you want the right one or two at, at that position. Um, we'll see about defensive line. I think you're looking across the board because this is a defensive scheme where sometimes they want to be in a four-man front. Sometimes they want to be in a three-man front. They want to do some different things and try to uh, just not pigeonhole themselves. That was what uh, Dominique Davenport said to me about the offensive scheme is, we don't want to pigeonhole ourselves. We don't want to overcommit to any one specific thing. We want to be able to identify the other team's weaknesses and have the personnel to take advantage of them. And you heard Trey Lamb say, we're a public school and a private school conference. Don't know how much I love that, but it's not wrong. Uh, but he says he said on Monday on his coach's show, uh, we think we can recruit speed. And that is something that I think will reflect in the identity of this team and the way they recruit across the spectrum, whether that is defensive back, whether it's defensive end, whether it's wide receiver, whether it's quarterback, they are looking for team speed. And by golly, they're going to find it because Trey Lamb has been absolutely hammering the state of Georgia already. This, this is a very go-getter staff that wants to recruit, that is pounding the pavement, that's getting I mentioned double-digit guys last week, they've got at least twice that many coming in this this upcoming weekend um, they are aggressive they are selling people on a vision for ETSU and that does not just include fans or donors or university staff, it also includes the players who are the people that make the whole thing go so I think the fact that there aren't very many players in the portal right now for ETSU speaks volumes about the way they've been able to get people on board with their vision. Obviously, the big ones are you know, Sheldon Arnold, Chris Hope. Those guys are staying. Those guys are locked in and, and excited about what's to come for ETSU football, and that makes me excited 
for what's to come for ETSU football. Uh, Trey Lamb so far has been exactly what we wanted him to be with, with this staff, which is still not 100% complete yet. Hope to have more on that in the near future. Let's talk basketball. Basketball, what a sport. It's a round ball, goes in a metal, is it a metal, you said metal hole? It's tin, is it tin, metal, something? Is it? Is it tin? I don't know what it is. It's all, I mean, people say all the way to the tin, but I always feel like tin would, would. Um, oh, that was the old bucket when uh, Nate Smith used to hang it up there. Well, that was a peach bucket. That was wood, so. Yeah. Rub. So. Men's basketball, uh, second half, uh, again, uh, played great. Um, struggled a little bit in the first half. Kimari Peterson with one of the more unbelievable stat lines I think you'll ever see. Most impressive, the zero turnovers. But the 23-8-4-3-3 is incredible because he had three blocks, too. Uh, that's the – Yeah. I mean, that's That's the, ridiculous. Uh, he was – yes, he was – he was – Great. Uh, Karan Boyd hit a massive three um, in the corner there, or in the wing, whatever it was, but that was an unbelievable shot. And then the Tyler Rice free throws at the end to seal it. And, and good to see him play a season high, 14 minutes. ETSU's been looking for some guard play off the bench, and Rice is somebody who seems like he's starting to maybe take a step toward that, which is, you know, more than, which is not even what he did at William and Mary. I mean, he he did a lot more than that in the past. So hopeful that you know that what we've seen from him really the last couple of games is a, a sign of bigger things to come in the second half of the year yeah and you're seeing now a little bit of a pattern obviously ETSU loves to have a flair for the dramatic um, <laughs> but you know three of the last four of those coming down to the wire they've now won with the you include Davidson Jack State now uh, the last game against Tennessee Tech the one blemish in there with the Cleveland State deal uh, on the road where, again, they had opportunities there. But I think where they've learned, and, and I think this Coach Savage said it, you know, he was proud of Kimari for the, you know, he had missed a critical free throw in the Cleveland State game. And the next opportunity to hit a critical free throw, last two games he's been able to hit uh, critical free throws because I think he, uh, he missed the uh, free throw Jackson State too. So to hit the free throw after a couple opportunities of not hitting free throws late in that situation, C1 go in to give the Bucks the one-point lead. Then obviously ETSU able uh, to get the, uh, the turnover uh, on a bad uh, backdoor pass in which ETSU was in position all night defensively, I felt like. There was not too many blown assignments. I have a question, and this is entirely sidebar, but I feel like it's something that you would have a passionate argument for one way or the other. How do you feel about a two-point free throw? That's because that's what the G League is doing now. It's one free throw for two points instead of two free throws for one each. Hate it. You hate it. Hate it. I, I of course I'm. I would love still to see the one and one and not do the two free throws. See, I hate the one and one. I think oh, it's, I, I think it. it's it's love one it. foot on the platform, one foot on the train. Pick one. I love it because if you get rid of the two free throw, unless it's a shooting foul, and you go one and one in the bonus. If you want to see a guy, see if he can live up to the pressure. Don't guarantee him two free throws in a one-point game. Give him one, and if you make it, you can push it to three. If you miss it, you can lose the game on a layup if you make the first percent. I mean, I think that the, the if it's especially if it's a two-point game 
and you're guaranteed to, the chances of somebody making one out of two is really good. Mm-hmm. The chances of them making that front end to ice the game with four, I bet it goes down. I don't know. I don't, I don't have an official stat to prove that. I don't know if anybody else does. And But I, my gut feeling is you would see a lot more exciting finishes if they still went one and one. And I'm all about the exciting finish. I would love to uh, move everything to one and one and do what the women's game does with the advance. I mean, let, let's get – Let's get them up there. Let's let's get some. Yeah, just know. get the offenses moving. Yeah, yeah. Let's this get whole you know the roll excitement. the ball up the floor, oh. wait for the clock to start. Oh. Thing. Just run your offense. I, I'm with you on that one. I, I'm definitely with All you right. on that one. Advancing the ball on timeouts. I don't know where you're going to go with that, but uh, uh, I also want quarters in men's basketball. I, I do men's too. basketball is the only is the only iteration of that sport on earth. Yes. That does it that way. No international, no FIBA, no pro ball, no high school. No, no high mid- school in the country. No middle house. school. Parks and rec place quarters. I mean, you you name it. Uh, the adult church league place quarters. Uh, I mean, everything. I don't know if they do or not. But uh, every level of organized basketball has quarters everywhere on the planet. Except men's college basketball in the NCAA. And they don't want to do it because it's the media timeouts. But I'm like, just do what you did with the women. Make them just Make ridiculous. the media timeouts a little longer. longer. That's what you did there, too. Add an extra floater in the first half like you do in the second. I mean, you can figure it out. But, yes, quarters, um, because I do like the resetting of the fouls, too, yes. in, in the women's game. Yeah. Love that. Yeah, I, I do. And I, I don't mind the, the two free throws when it's five team fouls like that. It doesn't bother me. If any, I mean, my experience, women's games get over faster. Part of that is because of the media timeout, like the one less media timeout in each half. But at the same time, I think the games get over faster because the free throws. Just, I think. There's a there's a better flow to the game. Yeah, when you do it quarters and you do the five fouls for the bonus and all that. I think the resetting of the bonus is big. I think obviously the media timeouts um, are big when it comes to that. Um, so I yes. Huge! I'm on board with uh, all of that. Uh, for men's basketball this week, and we'll talk more maybe on Monday, uh, it's Tusculum. Uh, you know, uh, I just saw a picture of Murray Bartow and Kevin Tiggs on, on Twitter last week, and it made me smile because there's nobody on the planet that smiled more than Kevin Tiggs. Mm-hmm. And we all know I've quoted Kevin Tiggs because for two years he named every game. And it was it was just his thing. He'd walk over and I'd say, "What's the name of the game?" And, and I mean, he never repeated any. But there was one time that which I've used for eternity now. I've used this one too. The, yeah. the, the, the get, get right, right game. game. And I, I asked him, and he was like, "You know, we've had a cuff tuple games. This that, and other. We're coming off finals." Did, did he say we had a t- we had a we had a cuff tuple games? Is that what? You, yeah, that's exactly. I mean, I he's from he's from Flint. I mean, you know, they talk different. I don't know how it goes. So. But he basically had said, you know, it's been a rough couple of weeks or games or whatever it was, and he said, I'm just coming off finals. I'm kind of exhausted. You know, this is lower division team. I mean, this this this, this is our get right game. I mean, this is how we're going to do it. We're just going to get right. And he went into the explanation of it, and uh, I think this is the perfect Kevin Tiggs get right game with Tusculum. Yes. And it'll be fun because there's a couple of GAs. Uh, Jackson and John are now down there, and they were GAs with, with Coach Forbes and worked with Coach uh, Savage as well, and so. Getting to see some, you know, student managers that then turn into GAs and then have worked their way up to assistant coaches at a, you know, Division two school and to get them back, I, I think is uh, also 
fun to see, as we talked about in the first uh, kind of opening of, of seeing that, seeing, you know, the, the kids kind of grow uh, into roles of coaches and things. And so that'll, that'll be fun. But for men's basketball, it'll be the get right. Um, hopefully, you know, they do what, you know, we teach you women did. We're going to transfer transition, I'll say that in a second, into uh, the women's where they did release McCray. Where it took maybe a little bit in the second quarter, and then they took off. I hope uh, ETSU eight ten minutes in kind of take over, and it's a little bit more of a coast uh, situation. Get some guys rotated in because they're going to have a tough little stretch of quick games soon. Well, I think it's also important at this particular juncture for ETSU to see themselves blow a team out. I was thinking about this this morning. Like, what does it mean going into a Kansas City game against a Kansas City team? that wants to scrap, that wants to be physical, that wants to be rowdy. They, they are mean. They play mean, uh, and they have for years. It's just kind of the style. Um, you know, they take they take that blue-collar mindset to the extreme down at, uh, at, at, at UMKC. So when you blow a team out going into a game like that where you know somebody wants to make it physical, wants to muck it up a little, wants to, to turn the game into a rock fight, um, you got a lot of confidence. You're willing to hit some shots. You can get them out of their style and out of their comfort zone if you can knock down some shots early and, and you build that confidence by blowing out a Tusculum team. They, they need to win this game by 30, 35 points. Uh, they need to shoot well over 50% from the field. Uh, this, is, this is a game where you really need to, as a D1 team that's got nine games under your belt, you should be at flying speed or close to it. This is the game that gets you right for the, the, the deep stretch because, like you're talking about, Kansas City is going to be a challenge at home. Um, you're going to Utah State. Uh, you're going to East, East Carolina. Carolina. Those are tough games. Yes. Those are tough games. Sam, especially go UMKC 20th, fly to Utah, play two days later, uh, or one day later, I guess, because you fly on 21st, yeah. play 22nd, back, home holiday, go back, then quickly play 29th. East Carolina, so th- this would be big. The one good thing about the Utah State game is you're not going to have to deal with the student section because they're going to be on holiday, and there's not going to be 6,000 kids singing Show Me the Scotsman Who Doesn't Love the Thistle. You know, like it's, you're, just, you're not going to have to deal with that. So you'll have that at least in your back pocket. But um, that Utah State team's pretty good. I think they're better than people expected them to be. But last year they were ranked. Like that's that's a program that just continues to click. They've got great tradition. They've got great facilities. They've got great fan support. Hmm, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? What do they have that we don't? Have? Oh yeah, they have a four million dollar TV deal. That's, I mean, that's really the only difference between ETSU and Utah State, to be honest. Is their their FBS with a multi million dollar TV deal, and we're FCS. That's it. All right. And that doesn't matter that much in basketball. So. Women's basketball, what's UNCA's budget? You got that off the top of your head? Because that's uh, Thursday's opponent. Uh, Similar to ETSU? Less? Probably less. No comment. Um, UNCA, this is a team that's looking for traction. They're playing their former head coach. I mean, these these two coaches worked together um, because, you know, Brenda Mott Brown was the head coach for UNC Asheville. Until relative until what was it twenty twenty I think and then she handed it off to Honey Brown and Honey took over and has been in charge of the program since so these two coaches know each other very well they've worked together in the past 
I think that energy and that urgency is going to translate to the players, and you're going to see an intense, competitive basketball game. But for ETSU, I just want to see them hit shots to start the game. They haven't done – they didn't do that even when they blew out Charleston Southern. They got their rhythm going about midway through the first quarter. They really started to hit their stride that first couple minutes – I just want to see. The, I think back to the Wofford game last year at Brooks, where they set the made threes record in a game. The first five minutes, they hit like six field goals. I want to see that. I want to see, give me give me shots, shot, 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 shots. Bang, 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 bang. Uh, I, w- I want to see offensive efficiency out of the gate. Don't grow into it. Give it to us right right off the jump. And if they can do that, I think they can win this basketball game um, without it going down to the wire. But I, I just I have a sense that this one is going to be one that with 6.38 to go in the fourth quarter, this is going to be a single-digit game one way or the other, and somebody's going to have an opportunity to trim it down and, and get themselves back in front and, and win. Uh, this is going to be a tight-knit basketball game despite the two teams' records. It'll be interesting to see if Kendall Foley is still day to day. If she goes, what you know? How healthy is she? Number one. If she doesn't go, how does the team kind of carry on, if you will? I know Jalea Cotton's been playing great mm-hmm. as of late. Um, she's still growing into that role. Where Foley's a different type player. Yes, uh, Foley is a different type of point guard. Jalea is a little bit more of a, a just an explosive athlete. Whereas uh, Foley will get downhill. But she's she's a little bit of a better shooter, I think, than than Jay Leah is, and uh, has the ability to contribute a little bit more, a little bit differently from a, from the perimeter. Whereas Jay Leah can do, she she's got that elbow jumper in her game that works. Uh, doesn't take a ton of threes, doesn't need to take a ton of threes, but can get to the rim. Is phenomenal on defense because of that same athleticism, and just seems a lot calmer and more composed and confident. And when you have those things, you have a lot in your your back pocket that you can lean on to uh, make yourself a, a valuable contributor. And I think Jay Leah, if she gets her second start, second consecutive start, she's going to do just fine. The player I want to talk about, though, I want to highlight for ETSU, and, and I probably should talk about Jakiah Davis because Jabo I think wants to take on a bigger scoring role. She's ready for a bigger offensive role. And it's not just scoring, but it's also you know, funnel the ball into the post, and the post distributes back out to the perimeter. Pass the ball to Tucker, who will pass it to the rest of you. That reference goes over your head, but there's somebody out there that understands what that's from, and that was for you and nobody else. Uh, you get the ball into Jabo. Jabo distributes, facilitates onto the perimeter. They did this with like a little shallow post action against Charleston Southern where I think it was, uh, it was Foley or maybe Beatty passed it about free throw line-ish to Davis, and Davis put it back out to Brown, and Brown had a wide open three and hit it from the left wing. That's what, those are the kinds of things you do. High post touches, low post touches, all kinds of post touches. Those are going to be important, but the player that I really want to talk about is Journey McDaniel because Journey is getting more confident handling the basketball, working off of screens, getting downhill. She is now more of a multi-level scorer and think about this, and I sent you this stat on uh, Sunday morning, is ETSU was plus 28 against Charleston Southern with Journey McDaniel on the floor. 
With Journey on the bench, they were minus one. That's a pretty significant swing. Uh, because, they, I mean, they, again, they won the game by 27, and they were plus 28 with her out there. She makes an enormous impact. She can shoot the three. She can get to the rim. She's a fantastic offensive rebounder and always has been. It just seems like she's developing a much bigger tool set and also doing that at a pace that is very digestible for her. So she understands everything that she's doing, why she's doing it, and how to make it better. And the growth is only going to compound for J-Mac over the course of the season. Best nickname on the team, uh, Coach Mock has nicknamed her Beauty and the Beast because she's a beauty off the floor well, that was and a what, beast on the floor. Well, that's what uh, uh, Journey said she was because in high school people thought she was just mean. But that, that was just – she's just a baller. I agree. Like when she goes she, – when she steps She's fun to watch. Line, she's different, yeah. There, there's just – there's some players that, again – they just do certain things, and I think for the ETSU fans, and you know, it's easier because I think a lot of the fans over time have followed more men's basketball than women's. Now, over time, I think we have uh, clearly started to bring some of those folks into the fold, especially when Karen Kemp started to make those uh, three-peat runs oh, yeah. um, back then. And since then, I think they, people have been on board uh, with women's basketball more. Uh, but there are certain women's players that kind of had that, you know, kind of toughness and, you know, could jump and can do some things. And, I mean, I, I go back to Deshaun Blocker. That was one of the oh, first yeah. ladies I've ever seen that won, um, and no offense, but played like a dude. I mean, and she was mean, and she would knock people down, and she was physical. And that, and the game was not very physical on the women's side back then. And, I mean, it you know, people didn't like her because she was mean on the floor. But she could jump. I mean, she could get off the ground. She could go get the rebound. But for Journey McDaniel, she, you know, on the men's side, I mean, she reminds you a lot of what Karan Boyd is doing if you've not seen Journey play, you know, what A.J. Merriweather would do. I mean, she just goes and gets the ball. She can make enough shots, Mm -hmm. and she's getting better as a scorer as it goes on. But she plays really good defense. She's super athletic. She literally has an impressive vertical leap to go get the basketball. And she knows how to play. I think that's the other thing is, like, when she's on the floor, you look at where her positioning is on defense, it's always right. She's able to do things. She's so long and athletic. Offensively, it, it seems like she's in the right spot every time. And I think she has a little bit of a Kiwa dude in her to where if somebody takes a shot, whether it's angles or instinct or whatever, she always seems to be on the right side of the rim of where the missed shot happens. Yes. And to me, if you're always on the right side of the rim where a missed shot happens, that's a gift. That's not just, oh, I'm just always running to this side of the rim. I know if Courtney McDaniel shoots from here, more than likely the it's going to go here. Courtney Moore. Courtney Moore. You, you, you portmanteaued two players. No, actually Courtney McDaniel was a heck of a player at University of Tennessee, played at oh, – uh, yeah. Played at Tennessee High. I covered her in high school. Did I just go back to my high school days? I think you did. Of Courtney McDaniel, who played. uh, Well, you have Courtney Moore and Journey McDaniel, and they both shoot. So. Yeah, and if you combine them, you have somebody that plays at Tennessee. Yeah, they do the the fusion Uh, dance like Dragon Ball Z. No, I I don't. I mean, I don't think I'm not. I mean, Journey is a good dancer, from what she's she's the best dancer on the team. That's what she's told me. I've seen Journey bust a move at practice. Like she, she's there. You go. No, she is the best dancer. But I'm just saying, Journey McDaniel, no doubt. I think if you just watch her, it is it's unbelievable all the things she does. 
uh, for the team. And I think what that was a rib injury, right? It was a rib. What was her injury? She was out of game. Uh, I think that sounds right. That's I think it was right. a rib she, injury. But yeah, she missed the Lipscomb game. Yeah, so uh, and I think that was a, a huge and the miss. Had state game, and that's you know. I they, think especially yeah. the Lipscomb game because of some of the rebounding and some other things uh, defensively. I think that she could have helped out with. But Journey McDaniel and uh, the women's team back at home for a couple, actually in the middle of what three more. Three more, and they go on the road to Clemson, and then they play Coker. But yeah, that was be the, the whole night. stretch that started with Lipscomb is nine out of eleven at home. All right, so women's basketball tomorrow. Keith on the radio called that. Men's huh? basketball Friday, Sunday. Back in going to be Campbell. I know we didn't talk about that, but we don't want to look too far ahead. Campbell Sunday. That'll Campbell be is very good. Yes, they are good. Campbell's good. That that will be a very good test. A solid CAA team coming to Brooks. That'll be a solid. That'll be a good test for, for that program. That's all, right. all I got. That's all you got. We'll That's be back. All the guys. We're gonna be back Monday. We got a lot of games going on and a lot of things to do. But we'll be Monday special Monday show. We'll get you set. Uh, we'll recap all of the basketball. There'll be one men's game, two women's. We'll talk about that. We'll get you set for the doubleheader on Wednesday as well. Shows a little turkey jerky right now just because of the way uh, the games are going. Uh, we'll try to get one in after that, uh, the Utah State, right after Christmas, get you set up for the rest of New Year's. And then, of course, then we'll be uh, twice a week as we get into Southern Conference play and get you caught up with everything with the Jay and Keith podcast. On the Buccaneer Sports Network. Buccaneer Sports Network!